maybe Tim or someone at Malcolm's house, would you like to read the Bible reading? <laughs> Are any of you suffering any hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man, or sorry, righteous person, so I'm just making it up now, has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Thanks, Tim. So you weren't making it up. Actually, I think in the original Greek language, it does say the righteous prayer of a, of a righteous man. Um, but obviously it's been translated to be more broad. So you, you, were probably, you were probably right. I think they're both true, though. Um, that's how James ends. So we've been doing our series on James in the last month or two. And it's quite an abrupt, sudden ending, isn't it? Uh, but I'm going to talk today a little bit about prayer. But first, I want to talk about ants. As a kid, I loved to watch ants. I'm not sure how I learned the word. I probably heard it from my mum. But when I was five, my dream in life was to become a naturalist. I would spend hours outside looking at bugs, especially ants. So my daughter, Annie, has inherited this love of bugs. And now she spends countless hours outside looking at bugs. Sometimes I imagine God looking over us, watching us like I used to watch ants. We're these small creatures scurrying around not aware of this incredible, huge, powerful being watching over us. I think this is probably a reasonably common way for people to think about God and to picture God. And in a sense, this is true. God is so much bigger, so much more complex. How can we really expect to understand him any more than a colony of ants can expect to understand us? And yet, in a deeper sense, it's actually probably not a very good analogy. Why, if we're like ants and God's like a person, prayer really wouldn't make much sense at all, would it? Why would the dreams and desires of a group of little ants matter to this all-powerful being? And the hopes and aspirations of a single ant, that would be no consequence at all. And how could one ant ever hope to hear and understand the voice of this huge and mighty being? There'd never be two-way conversation. At best, the ant could only lift up his voice to the sky and hope that God would hear. There'd be no talking back, no relationship. So perhaps this analogy of us like ants and God like a person just doesn't work very well when thinking about prayer. Perhaps a better analogy is that of a child and father. If we're like children and God's like a father, communication with God looks very different. When I was little, my father was often around. There, were, there he was in the mornings at breakfast, then in the evenings as I got ready for bed, and the weekends as I played. And I could talk to him whenever I wanted to. I could ask him questions, I could share my thoughts, 
and he could talk back to me, give me directions for my day and for life. At first, when I was very young, I wouldn't have understood very much at all of what he said. But as I got older, I could talk more clearly to him and he to me. Our communication would improve with every year. Even when he was away at work, if I really needed to talk to him, I could then phone him. As a child, talking to my dad was frequent and natural. Communication with him was an ever-present reality. Whether I was having a great day or whether I was having a tough day, he was around to talk to. And that's just how James describes prayer. Take a look at verses 13 to 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer is meant to be happening in all our lives, all the time. James spoke about communication with God as something that infuses our days and nights. We should be praying when things are hard and when we're in trouble. We should also be praying when we're happy and things are great. In sickness and in health, prayer should be ever-present. And when we're in the wrong and have hurt another person, we should be praying. Just like a child comes to a father at all times, no matter what's going on in the child's life, so should our relationship with God be. Is that what things are like for you? Does prayer infuse your days? Do you pray in the good as well as the bad? Because that's a marker of our relationship with God. I'm by no means a model child of God. I frequently neglect prayer. It's very easy to look spiritual on the outside, but prayer is actually a much better marker of our spiritual maturity than superficial appearances. And for me personally, in all aspects of my life, I know I need to deepen my relationship through more frequent communication with my Heavenly Father, through more constant prayer. When I was very young, we moved to London for a year. I'd never been to school, only kindergarten at that stage. And so it was in England that I had my first day at school. It was a little primary school across the road from where we lived. And my dad walked me over to the school to enrol me. The principal took me up to the year one class to meet the teacher. Year one in the UK starts a bit earlier than it does in Australia. So there were all these other kids that had already started months earlier and they were there working at their desks. And as they worked, the teacher came over and said, hello, it was, it was very friendly. And then she said to my dad, why doesn't Graham stay for the rest of the day in class? And you can head off. He can start school right now. Now, for little five-year-old me, that was a terrifying moment. And I looked up at my dad and I said in my timid Donald Duck voice that I apparently had back then, please take me home. Let me start school tomorrow. That was a prayer to my dad. And I didn't know what he would say. I had asked for something that I wasn't in control of. What happened next to me wasn't going to be my choice. At that moment, all I could do was trust that he would hear me, but also as his son, 
I needed to trust his decision. That's what prayer is often like. We have our desires, our hopes, but we don't know God's plans for us. And all we can do is share our heart with God, asking him for our desires. But trusting him, just as a child trusts, knowing that sometimes he's going to grant our requests and sometimes he's not going to grant them. When we pray like this, we're submitting to God's will. This was talked about earlier in the book of James in chapter 4, where James wrote, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we'll live here and do this or that. When we ask God for something, we don't usually know what his plans are. And in these circumstances, we can ask God for our deepest desires, for healing, for a successful job application, for the purchase of a house, for a safe journey. But like a child, we need to submit to whatever God decides to give us, even if it isn't what we asked for. We can trust he hears us. We ultimately know he's got our best interest at heart, but we're not in control. We submit to our creator, the author of life. We trust his decisions. Friends like this are seen throughout the Bible. Remember the beautiful scene in Matthew 8 where Jesus healed a man with leprosy. The leper came towards Jesus. Jesus didn't turn away. And with a prayer of faith, the leper knelt down before Jesus and said these words. Lord, if you will it, you can make me clean. Notice the prayer the man with leprosy said. His deepest desire was to be cured of his leprosy, but he didn't presume to force God's hand in the matter. He appealed to Jesus, recognising that Jesus could make him clean, but that the decision rested in Jesus' hands, not in the leper's hands. So he said, Lord, if you will it, you can make me clean. This is a prayer of submission to God's will. Many, most of our requests to God are prayers of submission. In James 5, verse 15, James wrote about the prayer of faith, faithful prayer. The word for faith in ancient Greek is pistis. Pistis is an interesting word because it can be translated in a few different ways. One way to translate it is trust. So a faithful prayer is one of trust. Trusting God's goodness, his provision. And just like a little child trusts his father to take care of his needs without necessary, necessarily really understanding his needs, our faithful prayers are often prayers where we submit to God's will, trusting that God will take care of us in the right way for us. But not all prayer is actually like that. Sometimes we pray and bring our requests to God feeling absolutely confident that God has already spoken to us about the outcome. One of the best ways I ever heard of understanding this was from a sermon about prayer on YouTube, good old YouTube. And the preacher spoke about two different types of prayer. He spoke about prayers of submission, prayers where we don't know the outcome. And he contrasted this with another prayer, which he termed prayers of assurance. These are the times we pray when we have felt a real prompting from God. The Holy Spirit has spoken to us in some unanticipated way and we feel absolutely confident that God has shown us his plan and we know the outcome. And in these cases, we can pray loudly and boldly, confidently knowing what's coming. A few years ago at a church service, I was pulled 
aside by one of the church members and asked to come and pray. He brought me to a group of five or six people talking with a visitor, Kim. Kim had come to church to that day asking for prayer. She had just been diagnosed with lung cancer and she had been told it was terminal and she wanted us to pray for her. So we went to the prayer room and we laid hands on her and prayed. As each person prayed for her, they called on God with increasing fervour to cure her of her cancer, to bring her full healing, complete healing. But I had this increasing sense that God wasn't going to heal her. This niggling thought grew louder and louder in my head and I felt this deep assurance that today I wasn't meant to pray for Kim's healing because God wasn't going to heal her. But instead, we were being called by God to pray a different prayer for Kim. And so compelled by this thought, in a moment of silence, I took the opportunity to pray. Lord, we know you're the great healer. But sometimes your healing happens in heaven, where you give us eternal life with a new body, without illness or pain. I pray that you give Kim courage, peace and trust in her resurrection as her life comes to an end. Lord, Kim has something on her heart that's important that she needs to know you're going to sort out, even if she can't. <coughs> grant her peace about these things and grant her request. So afterwards, I asked Kim what she, what she needed prayer for. What did she actually want us to be praying for? And what her goals were? And what was most important to her? And she said, I'm worried about my mum. She's got nowhere to live once I die. So Kim died a few months later, and I was privileged to be able to lead her funeral. Her mum was there and her mum was okay. She had been well provided for with a new place to live from no less than another church member. Someone from the church had helped her mum, who wasn't a church member, to find a place to live and had paid for it. I very rarely have these promptings by the Spirit where I know what to pray because God's let me know the outcome. I wish it happened to me more often, but it doesn't happen to me very often. I think perhaps that's because I still have a long way to grow in my faith, a long way to mature. I wonder if more mature Christians have this gift from God more frequently. Perhaps it's a bit like a child as he gets older. As any child grows up, he begins to understand his father a little bit better and his father begins to share more of his plans. When I was seven or eight or nine and my family went camping, I would sit in the car and wait to arrive at the destination and then I could play. When I got older, in my teens... My dad would tell me where we were going, give me the map, and I'd help navigate and then help set the tent up when we arrived. I wonder if it's a bit like this with prayer of assurance too. When we're young in spiritual maturity, it's harder for God to speak to us because we're not going to understand him as well. We're not going to understand his plans. But as we grow in spiritual maturity, as our relationship with God our Father deepens, I think he will speak to us more and more about his plans. And so prayers for assurance will become more common, more part of our daily communication with God. So when James is speaking about prayer here in verse 15, when he says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick, do you think he's perhaps talking about this type of prayer of assurance, where God has spoken to the prayer already? Could it be that James isn't speaking about a prayer of submission, but that instead he's speaking about Prayers and assurance. Let's look at the context. This is what James wrote. Are you sick? 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer, often in faith, will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. So James wrote that prayer of faith will heal the sick. And he followed that up describing the sort of person who can pray a prayer of faith. See what he wrote? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So there are two very important descriptors here about powerful prayer. Firstly, the prayer is a prayer of faith. Earlier I spoke about the ancient Greek word for faith, pistis, and said that it can be translated as trust. Well, that's true, but it can also be translated as faithful or faithfulness. When we just say the word faith, for most of us, it makes us just think of belief. And when we read prayer of faith, we can simply imagine a prayer where we really believe what we pray is going to happen. In other words, we think if we simply believe enough, then by some invisible magical power, the prayer will come true. We can fall into this trap of simply substituting the word faith with belief in this case. On the other hand, faithfulness makes us think of the way we act, the way we follow Christ, the way we obey God, living his way. And so in this sense, a prayer of faithfulness should begin to shape in our minds a picture of a person praying who is a strong follower of Jesus, whose life revolves around God, who's faithful to God to the point where everything he does, everything she does, everything he prays for is in line with the will of God. That's a prayer of faithfulness. And it's a very different image than that of a person who has this magical thinking that if he just believes enough, the prayer will come true. So the word faithfulness associated with prayer should begin to get us to see something about this powerful and effective prayer. The second scripture to take note of is righteousness. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. A righteous person, what's, what's that? Well, it's someone who's connected to God, who's in a good relationship with God, someone who's been forgiven and who's justified of sins and is living a blameless life for God. These are all aspects of righteousness. It's a very rich word, but these are parts of it. And so that righteous person is the sort of person whose prayer of assurance is powerful. And no wonder my prayers sometimes flounder. I don't know if I'm deserving of the title righteous. This verse is enough to humble most of us, I think. So that's the immediate context. But James went on directly after writing about these powerful prayers to use Elijah as an example of powerful prayer. And it's worth noting that he used the story of Elijah. Do you remember the story of Elijah? Let me refresh the story for you. So Elijah lived 900 years before Jesus. He was one of the greatest prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel. And he lived during the reign of King Ahab. Ahab was a tyrant who dishonoured God. He dishonoured God like few others before him and few others after him. He turned people towards pagan gods, pagan religions, and he worshipped Baal. Baal was the fertility god. 
the weather god. And people believed Baal brought the rain and grew the, and grew the crops. And because of this, they forgot about the true God, the living God, Yahweh. Elijah, of course, though, didn't follow Baal like King Ahab and the other people of the country. And so we're told in 1 Kings 17, Elijah went to Ahab and said, As surely as the Lord God lives, there will be no rain during the next few years. And he could do this because God had come to him and revealed this to him. So Elijah, with the assurance of God's word, could go to Ahab and loudly say to the tyrant king, there's going to be no rain. That was an incredibly brave thing for Elijah to do. He would have looked pretty stupid if it had rained and God would have looked powerless if it had rained. And so Elijah could only go to Ahab if he was absolutely convinced that God would allow no rain to fall in Israel for the next few years. And of course, it came to pass just as God had promised and it didn't rain. And Ahab became increasingly enraged and murderous. And Elijah ended up fleeing for his life. But God came back to Elijah and spoke to him again. And he said this to him, go present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him I will soon send rain. And so Elijah went back. And one of the most amazing stories in the Bible then unfolded, a story of fire from heaven followed by rain. Can you see that the prayers of Elijah were prayers of assurance? Elijah knew the outcome when he prayed because God had revealed the outcome to him already. And so Elijah could pray powerful prayers with confidence and drought and rain followed. It's the same for us today. Many of our prayers are prayers of trust and submission. Well, we don't know what God will do, and in these cases we can ask our request and submit to God's will. But as our faithfulness and obedience to Jesus grows, as we become more mature in our faith and learn to communicate with God our Father more and more, at that stage some of our prayers will change as God shares his will with us more. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to pray prayers of assurance where we know the outcome. And when that happens, that's a special and powerful prayer. I pray that each one of us experiences this prayer in our lives. Understanding the difference between these two types of prayer is actually crucial for strong faith. Prayers of submission, prayers of assurance. I've seen a lot of people falter in their faith when they misunderstand this. Let me tell you two tales of two ladies both with, with advanced cancer that I cared for a few years ago. Both were from the same church, a church that was well known for its charismatic character, its strong teaching on faith healing, and its strong teaching on the prosperity gospel. One woman prayed for healing. She couldn't discuss her illness or her coming death with anyone at all, including a family, because she said it would be a sign that she didn't have faith and so wouldn't receive healing. As she got sicker, she became increasingly agitated, increasingly distressed, and she wondered why God wasn't healing her. She had read passages like those in James 5. She had read the words of Jesus who said that if she had faith the size of a mustard seed, she'd be able to move a mountain into the sea. So why wasn't God healing her? Perhaps he didn't exist. Perhaps her faith was too weak. When she died, she actually, she actually died very distressed in a lot of anguish. I actually don't know if she'd abandoned her faith 
in the final few hours. The other woman was calm, at peace. I asked her about this and she said, I used to pray for healing, if it was God's will for me, but I've come to accept it's not. Now I pray that God gives me opportunities to share his good news before I die. So although her body became frailer and weaker with each passing day, her faith becomes stronger and further and firmer. And she spoke powerfully to everyone she met about her hope in Jesus. And despite the pain and the vomiting that wouldn't stop because of her bowel obstruction, she died with a smile on her face. I think that powerful prayer means, if we think that powerful prayer means that everything we ask for will happen, then when things don't go the way we want, what are we going to do? We blame ourselves for having faith that's too weak or we resent a God who doesn't care about us. Or worse still, we stop believing God's real. It's so important that we understand that sometimes our prayers are prayers of submission. We ask our request of God and accept his will, his plan, whatever that is, even if it's not what we asked for. But sometimes our prayers are prayers of assurance. We're led by the Spirit of God. We know the outcome. We can pray powerfully in these cases. And we will see droughts end and illnesses here. And as we pray more, we grow closer to our Heavenly Father. And as we grow closer, we become more mature in our faith. And we hear God more closely. We become more and more attuned to the Holy Spirit in our life. And we learn to hear him when he speaks. That's the life of a faithful Christian. That's the life I want for me. It's the life I think you seek too. Because in that life... We can stand tall as children of God. We can face all things in the knowledge that nothing can ever separate us from his love. So as we come to the end of today's sermon, I think there's no better way to finish today than to do so with prayer. I was going to ask Stephen to pray for us. Are you online, Stephen? Can you hear? Maybe someone, maybe someone at Andrew's Capone's end would like to pray. Would someone like to pray just for us all as a church for the next two or three minutes? And following the prayer, Malcolm will stream two final songs. After these two songs, our formal church service will come to an end. And so feel free to sign off after the songs and spend time talking to the people in your hub site. But for now, can I invite someone at Andrew? Andrew Capone's side, to, to pray and for us to draw together with faith in that prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that all wisdom and discernment comes from you. Father, I just ask that you would give us as individuals in Renew wisdom and discernment when to say nothing and listen when to speak and encouraging, tactful, building up words to speak. Father, for surely words are powerful and how apt 
is a timely word in due season. Father, help us this week to be an encouragement and a blessing to someone in our neighbourhood. Wear your hands and feet, Lord. Help us to be a blessing to someone this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.